Good morning, New Break. How are y'all doing? Hello. <laughs> glad you guys are here. Welcome. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, we are starting our new series this morning called 2020 Vision, and I am super excited to do that. If you don't know me, by the way, I'm, uh, my name is Robert, and I'm uh, the executive pastor. Uh, we help with the executive team oversee all of our five New Break campuses. I also am the Scripps campus uh, pastor as well, so I am glad to be here with you. Hopefully, I get a chance to meet you if I don't know you. Uh, we are starting a series, and my prayer for you this morning morning is this, that you and I, as we enter into this year, will have complete spiritual vision clarity in our lives. So that's my prayer for you. God has created you and I with some amazing senses in our bodies, and one of those is our eyesight, the ability to see. And it's fascinating if you think about how your eye works. And so I just wanted to put up here the anatomy of an eye, Okay. We're going to look at eyeballs this morning. Look at the person sitting next to you. Look at their eyes. Look at the color. Look at the shape. Our eyeballs are amazing. God has created them. And first thing, like, as you look at the eyeball, I got my little laser pointer here. You look at the outer dome there. That's called the cornea. Now, if you're not sure what that is, take your finger right now and poke your eye. That's your cornea, okay? That allows light to come into your eye. And then that light goes through to your pupil right there in the pupil, but that is filtered by what's called the iris. So you think about a camera that has a filter on the lens. So your iris filters out light. Now, if you have darker eyes like brown eyes or green, you know, darker green like that, what that means is it, lets, it allows less light to come in. So if you're out in the bright sunshine, you can handle it a little bit better. It means you don't see as well at night. And then all the way down the spectrum to those who have blue eyes. I have blue eyes. Anybody else in this room have blue eyes? Raise your hand up, big and bold. Awesome. You guys are a dying breed, by the way. Just telling you, by the year 2061, they anticipate that there will be nobody on the planet with blue eyes. I'm sorry, you're going to die. <laughs> Me too. So what they said was at the turn of the century, and again, this is all true. I read it all on Google. Uh, what they said is at the turn of the century, there were 50% of Americans had blue eyes, and now it's 0.08%, and that 15% of the world has blue eyes. So it's, you're a dying breed. Uh, so apparently that's going to be a bummer. Uh, but it filters light, and people with blue eyes, by the way, can see better at night. It's probably why when you're driving, if a bright car light hits you, you're like, ugh, right? That's why. Don't make my brown eyes blue. Um, so what happens is the light comes into your lens, it goes to the pupil, and it's regulated by the iris. And then here's what's cool. So then it goes through this lens. So you think about the lens on a camera. The lens focuses the light. In other words, at what you see, the shadows, the color, the objects, it's coming through and the lens focuses it. And what it's doing is it's focusing it on this thin layer of nerves on the back of your eyeball called the retina, okay? So way back here on the back part there is called the retina. This is where it gets like godlike. These images now are, are, are focused onto your retina, and what happens is it gets digitized. You think of like a digital camera, right? Those images now are digitized into neurons and electrical signals. 
which then get carried, as you see that little word there, optic nerve, get carried into your optic nerve and then goes to your brain. Oh, and by the way, when it hits your retina, the image is inverted. It's upside down. And then when it goes to your retina, to your optic nerve, to your visual cortex in your brain, here's what's weird. Your brain then reassembles everything in the right way so that what you have is called vision, what you see. And having visual clarity, so having clear visual perspective, means that you're able to interpret your surroundings, that is the light, the color, the objects, in a proper way. Having clear visual perspective. And spiritually, it is just the same. For you and I to have clear spiritual visual clarity means that we are able to see our surrounding environment, our lives, our families, what God is doing through the filter of God's light, his vision for your life. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How do you and I, in fact, align our plans with God's vision this year? How do you and I, like, understand and be able to articulate, okay, God, what are you doing in my life, right? What is the vision and the plan that you have for my life? And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in the book of Acts, chapter 1, as we launch into this series over the next several weeks. We're going to be in the first several chapters of the book of Acts. And the, Acts, the book of Acts is a sequel written by a guy named Luke. Can anybody tell me what other book Luke might have written? Mark, yes, wrong. <laughs> no gold star for you. Back to Sunday school. No. Wrote the book of Luke. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels, which are four accounts of Jesus' life, what he did on the earth, his crucifixion, his resurrection. So Luke wrote the book of Luke and then wrote this as a sequel. And as he's writing it, he is, in fact... A, a kind of a partner with the Apostle Paul. Paul, the Apostle, is sent out from the church in Antioch and begins to plant churches all over the Mediterranean. And so it's the launch of the church age. It's a narrative. It's a redemption story, the book of Acts. Some biblical uh, translations say it's the Acts of the Apostles, which isn't really true. It's more the Acts of the Holy Spirit how the Holy Spirit is launching the church age, the age of the great invitation. And so Paul is going around, and Luke is his companion, following around and keeping track of all these amazing things that are happening, how the gospel is spreading out across the world. And so he writes this, and we go to chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And he starts by saying, In my former book, Theophilus. Who's Theophilus? Well, Theophilus is who he wrote Luke to, Many scholars believe that Theophilus is a Roman, a very prominent Roman citizen who more than likely funded Luke's trip to document the accounts of Jesus' life and then the accounts of the Acts of the Holy Spirit and how the church age was launched. And so he dedicates the book of Acts to Theophilus. He says, I wrote all about that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. 
After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he, that is Jesus, was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the other ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight, and they were looking intently into the sky as he was going, and then two men dressed in white stood beside them and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. I find it interesting that the first command that Jesus gives to his followers after his death, after his resurrection, as he is about to ascend into heaven, is to wait. Stop. I'm thinking, we got work to do. <laughs> like, if they're a follower, like, we're going to usher in Jesus' reign. Like, what? Wait. It's interesting that the only being who stands outside of time says, slow down. Hold up. Wait. I know some of you right now, really? That's today's message? Are you kidding? Wait. I hate waiting. <laughs> But God, in fact, is saying, hold up, wait, you know, have patience, wait on me, wait on my plan. He says, you know, don't leave Jerusalem to the followers. He goes, wait for the gift that my father has promised to you. Hang on. We get in so much of a hurry. I know for many of us, we start the new year. We got goals and plans, what we're going to do with our life, get in shape, our businesses. We're like at it, Right? But when it comes to the 10,000, 30,000-foot view of our lives spiritually, having a different vision, well, that's a little more intense. I, by nature, am a person of action. I do not like to wait at all. My mom used to tell me, no moss will ever grow under your feet. Uh, I like to just keep moving and doing things. But God's saying, wait. In fact, our culture is a culture that cannot wait. I, the microwave is too slow. Like, I put stuff in, in two minutes, I'm like, come on, really? It's just too low. We have a quarter million fast food restaurants in America. And you all know that that's not fast enough. Why? Because you all have the apps of order before you get there apps, right? You can order online and just go pick it up. Too slow. Broadband's too slow. Kids grow up too fast. Maybe not sometimes. <laughs> Some of you get what I mean. Uh, <laughs> Everything's quick, right? Here's the deal. We lack patience, and when we lack patience, when it comes to the things of God and the vision that God has and the plans that he has for our lives, when we are impatient with that, we can miss out on what God is trying to do in our lives. 
And I would say this, that the more important the decisions that you're making this year, the more weightier the decisions you're making, the more we need God's word on it, the more we need his insight, his wisdom, the more we need to have patience in that. Because when we don't wait on God's plan and his power for our lives, what happens is assumption and presumption can dictate our direction. We could assume, we all know where that goes, or presume that God is doing things a certain way or will always do things a certain way because he's always done it this way, and we can miss out on God. Let me give you the difference between assumption and presumption. Assumption is you're laying in bed, it's 11 o'clock at night, you're getting ready to go to bed, and all of a sudden you hear a knock on the door, and somebody's pounding on your front door. And you assume, wow, who is this? I think this is my crazy neighbor next door. So you're assuming it's your crazy neighbor. Presumption is that crazy neighbor has knocked on your door for two weeks in a row every night at 11 o'clock. So you hear the pounding again, and you're like, ah, that's the crazy neighbor again. You're presuming why, because there's been a sense that something has happened the same way. I think both of these are dangerous because both of these we have a bit of information or knowledge that we think might be accurate. And when it comes to making key decisions in our life and understanding and ascertaining God's will for our lives is that little bit of information can sometimes be dangerous because assumption and presumption, there is a fine line between that and faith. And so we have to be careful. The, the disciples, they did this. They gathered around Jesus and they're like, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They think that, okay, he's resurrected from the dead. He's going to kick all the Romans out, beat them up, start up his own, you know, his own rule and reign from Jerusalem. It's not the plan. That wasn't the plan. The plan was God was going to start the church age and where Jesus ascends and rules and reigns from heaven, but he decides to do it through who? The church. Who's the church? Thank you. Gold star. You were in Sunday school. We. We are the church. And that was the plan, but they didn't get that yet. And so they're making these assumptions and presumptions about what would happen and becoming impatient. And I think impatience can also lead us to tunnel vision. Tunnel vision keeps you and I from seeing God's big picture in our lives. And so Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know the times and dates that are set by his own authority. Like, you think this is what's supposed to happen. Well, this isn't what's going to happen. And they're just focusing on this one thing. And tunnel vision can lock us in. I don't know if you've ever been to Alaska, but this is uh, a special place. I've been there twice in the last few years, and this is in Skagway. Uh, this is called the White Pass Yukon uh, Railway, and this is an amazing thing. If you ever go to Alaska, if you ever go to Skagway, pay the money to go on this train. It goes 3,000 feet in elevation in 20 miles, and it was built, well, not the train. It's, they've modernized it, but originally it was 121 years ago. Some of the places look like it was built 121 years ago on the train ride, like that little, you know, bridge right there with that rickety wood. Uh, and so you're on this train, and it's amazing because they built it during the gold rush, and, and so you get on this train, and it has these beautiful views of the gorge that was, you know, kind of goes through up the 3,000-foot elevation. The gorge and vistas, there's waterfalls, and then there's tunnels. There's two tunnels. And it's interesting, as you come up to the tunnel, you can see it a ways off before you get to it. And so people are like st sticking their head out, like this guy kind of sticking his head out right here. He, in fact, loses his head in about 10 minutes. No, I'm kidding. Uh, 
you can go in between the platforms of the rails and you can like kind of peek out. But as I was getting close, I was on the platform. I was like peeking my head. I'm like, ooh, I'm going to get my head lopped off. I can be, because it's tight when it goes through there. So you get close to it, and as you get close to the tunnel, you, all of a sudden the train goes into the tunnel, and it's pitch black. There's no lights in there. And it's kind of cool. Like, it's just like all of a sudden it's totally black and dark. And, but as you keep going, all of a sudden, if you kind of peek out, you just see this little light starting to appear, a little bit bigger. And then the guy gets on the announcement, and he goes, I think it's a train heading toward us. No. <laughs> That's a different sermon. Uh, <laughs> And the light starts getting bigger and bigger, and then all of a sudden it goes whooshing out of the other end of the tunnel. And there's this beautiful gorge to the left there, and you just look out, and it's, it's just beautiful, the view. If we're not careful, we can allow the struggles, the problems of our lives to completely take over to where that's all we see is the darkness of the tunnel. When I think about that, it's... So many times there's positive things we could be thinking about, but we just see the tunnel. We got tunnel vision, like raising teenagers. Anybody in here with a teen knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> now, raising teenagers can be very difficult. They're awesome. My teens, 15 and 14-year-old, Corbin and Aiden, are great kids. They have so much going for them, but it's, like, tough. And if I'm not careful, you know, I could just look at the tunnel don't judge me, all you with little kids that don't have teens yet. <laughs> Your day's coming. <laughs> now, they know I'm telling the story, by the way, because with my kids, I speak every week at, at Scripps Ranch, and when I tell a story and I use them in a sermon, I get their permission first, and then I pay them five bucks each. <laughs> so they're like, yeah, go ahead, Dad. Five bucks. <laughs> uh, they're watching on Facebook. No, they're actually up at camp right now, high school camp. And so... You know, it's hard. You could just look at all the problems, right, and get super negative about it and not look at what God's doing in their lives and the positive things. But he is. God is doing positive things in your life, in the areas that are dark in your life or the things that you focus on, the challenges. And God is bringing us through and wants to bring us through the tunnel and bring light to all these areas of our lives. He's working even when we don't see it even when we don't see him working. And it's so important that as we go through these things, like with kids, that we have a village, right? That you raise your kids in the community of the church, whether you have teenagers or children. They're in children's church right now. It's important we do it together, and it's why I'm super thankful for our student ministry directors, Marcus and Eddie here, Ashley over at the Scripps campus, and all of the volunteers that are like up at camp with them, spending the weekend with students. It's awesome that we get to, you know, do this together as a community. And I just want to put a plug out. If you uh, have never served in youth ministry or in children's ministry, get involved because you're not just there to babysit. You're there to mentor and pour into their lives. And it's powerful. I was just talking to Janine outside, and she remembers when my kids were like little babies biting other kids in the children's ministry. <laughs> Some things never change. Um, no. And like, you know, then all they grow up, and they watch them grow up, and, and that's the deal. And the power of God working in their lives, seeing clearly what God has for your life and the power 
of doing what God wants, doing his vision. So many times we make goals and plans and we say, God, bless my plans, bless my goals. We kind of have that backwards. Not kind of, we do have it backwards. It's God, what is your vision? What is your plan? How do I align my life to that? Right? It takes a group. It takes patience, which is proactive, which we don't think it is. We think patience is like just, you know, a waste of time. But it's active waiting. It's being involved and not seeing the tunnel. It's being involved and being present. I love this quote that patience doesn't mean passivity or resignation, but power. It's an emotionally freeing practice of waiting, watching, and knowing, right? Knowing when to act. I feel like there's many times I need to learn to move at the speed of God. And God will speak to us in the midst of that. In the midst of your life. Sometimes we don't think God's speaking. We're like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Or what do you want from 2019? I lost my job. Or God, what do, you know, what do you want for me in this year? Why does it sound like you're not speaking to me? That's a patience moment. God is wanting to speak to you and wanting to do a work within you in those trying times. And so many times I, I pray, like, God, I, you know, what about this? And how should I move forward? And he's like, well, I told you a year ago what to do. <laughs> you ever have that? Sometimes we just need to go back to what he's already said in our lives and follow that. It's all about growing where we're planted, growing where God has us. See, God's desire is to always empower you and I for whatever he has next. It's why he gives this promise. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He's, his desire is to empower us. Marcus was singing, Pastor Marcus was singing in the worship time. You know, there was a song that had some lyrics that talked about it's not by might, not by power. It's by his spirit. That's out of the book of Zechariah. By his spirit. It's not by my own power and I muster it up. It's God's spirit working through me and allowing him to do it and connecting with him so that he can work his will into my life. The empowerment of God in your life is so important. It is critical, his power, when it comes to us sharing our God story, telling people of what God has done in your life. Sometimes we get intimidated. We don't feel comfortable sharing our faith. But I would say just unload that for a minute and just make it natural. See, being a witness is simply seeing something and saying something. You see something that happens in your life and you're telling somebody what happened in your life. You're talking about something amazing that's happened. And there's a way to do it that's natural and normal and people need to hear your God story. People need to hear it. And the Spirit's there to empower you, to give you the words. He's there to give us wisdom. He's there to give us joy. The Holy Spirit is there to give us direction, to tell us when to walk, when not to walk. Warns us of impending difficulty sometimes that's coming up. It's amazing when we connect with God through prayer and the Spirit-led life, the difference that makes. And this is what Jesus is trying to communicate to them. He's saying, listen, there's a difference. There's a power when you live out what God has called you to do. I love our staff team at Terrasana here at this campus. They, in fact, are living out the calling of God in their life. They have felt a call for vocational ministry, and they're living that calling out. 
and God is working in them, and they're an amazing team that's uh, one of our values is do it together, and so they are team players. They are always willing to pitch in outside of their role to be involved, and, and their role is to serve you. Their role is to serve you, to empower you to do the work of the ministry, and that's what they do, and I love it. One of those team members is Danny Bias, uh, who's been part of uh, New Break for almost six years now, uh, he's served in a number of different areas as our life groups champion, and then in this past year as the transition is happening here at this Tirasana campus, he's served there. But recently, he's felt a call in his life, and not to leave New Break, but he's felt a call to go to our Ocean Beach campus. They have been looking for a campus director for months now, and he approached our board of elders and our executive team and said, hey, I feel like God's calling me to go be the campus director there. Pastor Carter's doing an amazing job, and they need, you know, more help there as they reach that community. How many think Ocean Beach might be a tough community to reach for Jesus? <laughs> and so he just felt this call. And here's the cool thing. Our board of elders and our executive team, we, we affirm that call. We feel like it's good to us and the Holy Spirit that this is what should happen. You have giftings and talents and abilities that we think will complement what's happening there. And so he's going there to be their campus director. Bummer for here. He's not leaving New Break, but he's there. And, and God is, you know, big C church, right? Not just us, but God has got a global church that he's moving the pieces around. And here's the cool thing about you guys, Tirasana, this campus. If you're new, you may not know this. This campus has always been a sending campus. I started attending here in May of 2000, so it's almost 20 years that I've been here. We were a single campus running a little over 300 people. Uh, then that quickly moved to five services, three on Sunday, two on Saturday night, and it's been growing ever since. And, and we, when we launched our first campus, because if you don't know this, we are a multi-site church. We are one family meeting in multiple locations. In uh, August 21st of 2007, we launched our first campus in Scripps, launched it in Edwards Theater. And then from there, there was a Santee campus, East County, OB, PB, Hillcrest. We have five campuses now. And at all of those campuses are people who originated here, people that originated leaders and staff. So this campus has always been an amazing sending campus to reach San Diego County through our different campuses and reach those communities and people that need Jesus. So that's a happy part. That's like really awesome. Uh, you know, if you didn't know that, I hope that gives you great courage and, you know, when we launch another campus someday. Now, about this campus, let me give you an update of what is happening here. We um, have been for a number of months in a search for a campus pastor here at Tierra Santa. And that search is uh, kind of narrowing down. We are going to, over the next uh, several weeks and months, narrowing down over 100 candidates to be the campus pastor here. And so that's a big endeavor. I know some of you are like, where's Pastor Mike going? He's not going anywhere. <laughs> Okay? He's not going anywhere. Pastor Mike uh, at next year will become what's called our legacy pastor. He has a role. He's not leaving New Break. He loves New Break. You know, he's been doing this for over 36 years. He started when he was 10. <laughs> yeah, 1986. So whatever the math is, it might be 37. I lose track. Uh, he's been doing this a long time. He loves you guys, loves New Break, not going anywhere. Okay? It's just a different role. But we need to find our Tirasana campus pastor, and this is where you come in, okay? We need you to be spirit-led. We need you to pray. 
This is a spirit-led, God-empowered endeavor as our board of elders and our executive team begin to whittle this down to like kind of the top two or three candidates, you in fact will get a chance to hear them. You'll get an opportunity to meet them. So be in prayer. Pray and ask God that he would send us the right person and that you know, we would hear his voice clearly. And so be a part of that, okay? Everybody nod your head yes. <laughs> it's, it's exciting, but it takes some patience, right? But God is on the move. And here's the thing. God is always in the move in our life, but it's always a collaborative effort. Always. We partner together, but we partner with the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? And it's collaborative. There's no such thing in the Bible as the jam session, just Jesus and me. Just me and Jesus. That's not, you won't find that anywhere in the Bible, okay? I get there's a cool song called Personal Jesus, uh, there's a little bit of truth to that, but the reality is Christians, us, followers of Jesus, are part of a community together. It always is that way. There's no deviation from that. It's not just I sit in my room and hear from Jesus and I'm just gonna do whatever Jesus tells me. He doesn't tell me to like commit to anybody else. That's just a fantasy. It's why our mission statement is about connecting people with God and we do that by beginning our week in what? Worship. It's what we're all doing right now. We are collectively worshiping God through an experience of music and song and through hearing the word of God. That's a, that's a collaborative effort. That's why we talk about life groups all the time, being in a life group. Because it's when you are in a life group with other people, there's a community. It's you and the Holy Spirit and others. It's why we talk about serving the needs of our community together. Jesus made this statement. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in your midst. Now, that doesn't mean in your devotional time by yourself, you don't hear from God. What he's saying is there's a power when you're together that I am in your midst. My presence, the Holy Spirit, is in your midst in that time. And that's where the power comes in, this collaboration. But it requires us to actively wait on God and to witness what he's about and how he's working in our lives Again, I said witnessing is about seeing and saying, right? Jesus said this in Matthew 5. He said, you are the light of the world right now where you sit. I know you might be thinking about all your flaws and struggles you have and sins and all that. This is where grace comes into our lives. He says, you are the light of the world. Why? Because our spiritual lens has let the light into our lives. And he says, your light can't be uh, hidden don't put it in a, under a, a bowl. Instead, put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So how has God worked in your life this past year? What are the ways in which God has totally showed up for you? Remember those. Write those down. It's super important. I know for New Break as a whole, like I have definitely things God's done in my family and personally, but as New Break, as the church as a whole, that's us, as a whole, we baptized almost 100 people last year, which is amazing. Like, give the Lord a hand. That's awesome. That's 100 people who publicly committed, I'm going to follow Jesus. And that has ripple effects into their marriages, into their families, into their places of work. 
We have had hundreds of people at the end of services when we ask people to raise their hand to commit their lives to Jesus or rededicate their lives at all of our campuses. Hundreds of people throughout the year that have done that. I know of marriages that have been restored and finances of people that are in a mess fixed. I can go on and on. How has God shown up? It's about being a witness to that. People in your life need to hear that because they don't know. They haven't heard and they won't hear unless there's a witness. God wants to hear. People need to hear. And it's being confident that no matter what happens, God is never absent. Remember, this is the ascension. Jesus is kind of leaving them. So they're like, well, where are you going? He's like, no, my presence is going to be with you. Even though he's ascending into heaven, he's not absent. He's not leaving us alone. In fact, the Apostle Paul captures kind of the thought of this when he says, in all my prayers for you, I pray with joy because of the partnership in the gospel, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. God is working in you, working his will and his plan and his vision for your life, and he's never going to end it. He's committed to you. He's committed to seeing it through. So this year... As we come into this year, I want to challenge you to begin by waiting. And what I want to challenge you to do, and Marcus and Veronica talked about this, is I want to challenge you to our 2020 prayer guide. So this next 20 days, starting tomorrow, January 6th, for 20 days, I want to ask you to pray for at least 20 minutes a day for 20 days specifically for the church, for your family, for other areas of your life. Maybe there's something God's, you know, you need a decision on something. I want you to take this time. I want you to take this challenge. I want 20 minutes, not less. You can do this. You can do this. Some of you are like, well, I'll go after 20 days. Yeah, awesome. Please, <laughs> please do, or longer than 20 minutes. But I want to at least challenge you to the minimum. And what I want you to do is go to newbreak.church forward slash info. When you click to that page, you'll scroll down a little bit. You'll see a slide that's very similar to this in color. And there's two things you can download. There's a prayer guide and a prayer tool. The guide is about 34 pages long. It has all kinds of teaching and instruction on prayer and cool things that to think about. The prayer tool is more of just a, a kind of a list of each day. If you're having a trouble, what do I pray about today? It'll kind of give you a guide as to what to pray each day, a tool, so that you know, okay, today I'm going to pray about this. Tomorrow I'm going to pray at this. Now, the staff at Newbreak at all of our campuses are going to follow this guide and tool. So we'll all be praying the same thing. So join with us to pray for the same thing. We got lots to pray about. Lots to pray about in our lives, our staff. Lots to pray about for this campus, looking for a campus pastor. Tons of stuff. And so I want you to join with us in prayer as we wait on God for the empowerment of his Holy Spirit in our lives. Will you do that with me? Okay, let's pray, and then we'll end our time together. Father, thank you for the fact that you have given us your light. God, you have let your light come into our lives, and you have charged and called us, God, to let our lives shine. And so, Lord, our prayer this morning is that we, in fact, would reflect your glory that we would reflect the glory of God in our lives so that others might see it. So God, use us during this time as we commit to you the next 20 days, God. I pray 
that people would have miracles happen in their lives, that as we commit to this, some pretty miraculous things would happen that only you could do, God, that there's no way to say, oh, that was by my own power or this happened, but that was a God thing. So, Lord, move on our behalf. Hear our prayers, God. Heal our nation. God, move in our families and our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.